the really beautiful process that Vinny and I went through in deciding what we were going to talk about tonight just um, gives me a huge indicator of how much we really um, honor and care and respect well, each other, for one, and our practices, this path, you. And a lot of it was about needing it to be relevant. You know, we really wanted it to be relevant. Uh, the last night, and what are we going to say? You know, your wisdom has been so beautiful for yourselves, your insights, your unfolding. What can we possibly say that hasn't already been said? So we went back to one of the classics. You know, we decided, okay, let's talk about the Eightfold Path a little bit. Let's talk about how that path is so inclusive, so practical, so meaningful, so important to pay attention to. And how each of us um, feel like one of the, I'm going to get into it a little bit more, but how there are certain doorways that we have entered the path. Um, where we want to talk about our doorways to the path and how we utilize it. And then how we work with other aspects or elements of the Eightfold Path. But first, to I'm not going to actually get into each eight path factors so much, but I want to talk about these. There are these three core aspects of it. Um, sometimes it's called the three baskets. Sometimes it's called the three strands of a braid. Uh, but it's sila, samadhi, panya. So ethics, our actual mindfulness practice, and then our wisdom. So those are the three core pieces of the Eightfold Path. And oftentimes we'll find when we enter the path, we enter from one of those three major parts. Sometimes we're super intellectual people. We're really smart you know, we grasp onto concepts and processes and structures and lists and those kind of things really easily. So that wisdom piece, the panya piece, maybe we can, we can really conceptually understand some kind of complex um, structures and processes that the, the Buddha laid out. Simple but complex. So maybe we're one of those kind of people. So we've done a lot of reading. We like to listen to talks. You know, the the first way we entered the Dharma was through picking up a book. I know there's some of you out there. Right? And then there are those of us who maybe entered because due to some type of service pull, we're really wanting to make that sandwich or attend that soup kitchen, or we've worked with children and, um, you know, our hearts call us to show up to practice, to speak really kindly and to 
um, live a clean, sort of ethical, moral life. You know, for some people, that's how we show up first to practice. And then for others, it might be entering for the first time ever, maybe through meditation, deciding, like, this isn't working, I need to do something different, I'm going to go take a meditation class, or I'm going to go on a retreat. And the way we've entered the path is through silence and introspection and, and um, contemplation. So what's beautiful about this, this Eightfold Path is it gives a multiple possibilities for people to enter it you know and and maybe you're thinking right now reflecting on how it was that you first entered and I'd actually love to hear from all of you but we're not going to do that right now but do you can you kind of remember or recall how you first entered you know, when I think about people like Mother Teresa or Gandhi, you know, like the typical service types. Um, it's easy to maybe see how they entered. But just a, just a reflection. So Vinny and I are going to talk a little bit about um, of that for ourselves, what it's been like. I know for me, when I was really young, and I, I can't remember how young, but I was a, I don't need to go into my whole story, but, you know, I lived the homeless life, I lived the life of a thief, I lived the life of a, you know, I did all that good stuff, had handcuffs on and all the yummy stuff that we love to talk about. <laughs> and, um, but all throughout that, I had a lot of confusion and pain and, you know, all those sort of things in my life. But all throughout that, like I had a deep core desire to be kind. Like I remember saying to one of my friends, like, I just want to be a good person. Like I really remember saying that. I just want to be a good person. Even when I was in the depths of real despair. And so how I did that was I was like, I was really nice. Like <laughs> I will tell you one story. I, I was, I was a homeless teenager for, for a while and I had some, some really good friends and their parents loved me. Like I was the type of friend who showed up, like I would look adults in the eye and I would talk to them in the kitchen. You know, I was that teenager, but in the meantime, I was stealing from them. Like I was taking their shit, you know, one of my favorite things was to steal Dodger tickets because they had a high market price and and I could sell them or, or coins or, you know, anyway, it was like, so they were being kind and loving and caring to me and keeping like feeding me and taking me in when I had nowhere else to sleep. And yet at the same time, I was stealing from them. But the thing that was interesting about that is I really wanted to be nice to them. Like I wanted them to like me and I wanted to say things that would make them feel good about themselves, right? So, so in an interesting way, my right speech was really good <laughs> and my right action was really shitty. <laughs> So eventually those two caught up with each other. But what I first needed to realize when I came out of that sort of the depths of that pain that I was in was that I wanted to start acting right. I really just wanted to start acting right. 
And so I'm, I'm not going to take something that isn't freely given. I'm really going to tell the truth. Um, those things were important to me. So that's the doorway that I entered through. And that was a long time ago. That was before I discovered Buddhism or any of those things. But once I did and I saw that there was a, a real sort of laid out actual plan, which we'll call the precepts, those five precepts that you took at the beginning of the practice, once those were laid out for me and I had guidelines to follow, it, it turned my whole life around. Like every, Everything shifted. And it wasn't because there were guidelines that somebody told me, because I grew up Catholic, so there was this like real, I'm a bad girl, I'm going to hell, I kind of like that I'm going to hell, it's probably more fun. You know, just like there was a real sort of dedication to badness that had nothing to do with me. It was sort of, it was a, a laid on external expectation of me. When I came to the idea of the Buddhist precepts, which said to me, Nobody else can judge you. These are not about other people judging you around your behavior, around if you do it right or wrong. This is purely for your own reflection. What do I feel like after I lie to somebody? What do I feel like after I steal from somebody? What do I feel like after I have sex with somebody that doesn't care about me and I don't care about them? Right? Like, that's what it was time for me to start looking at and realizing, oh, you know what? When I wake up in the morning or the next day after that thing happened, I don't feel so good. And then I have to lie to myself some more or I have to shame myself or I have to feel guilty, right? And so then that clay that's on that golden Buddha gets laid on thicker and it's sort of hard to see the beauty anymore. Because if I just keep behaving badly, then I just keep getting to hate myself, and other people can hate me, and then the beauty is gone. So when I woke up to the, the precepts, it was, it was like the chipping away at the mud, and the because each time I was like, oh, I didn't do that thing. I didn't do that thing. I didn't do that thing. That was beautiful. I could like myself the next day. I could wake up going, I didn't do that thing. So my gateway, my doorway was through Sila. And then because of Sila, I could sit easier. Because it's really hard to sit when you're beating yourself up the whole time, as some of you might have noticed. (laughs) You know, when there's a lot of regret and remorse and rear view mirroring, it's a lot harder to sit. And so through my ethical practice, through the practice of not causing harm, whether it was to somebody else or myself, my that supported the other two. That supported my samadhi. And then my wisdom got strengthened because I could see the causality of my actions. So how I support that now is daily, I take the precepts. It's just a part of my inner mechanism now, and I've been doing that for quite a few years. I taught myself how to, you know, I've learned them in Pali, and that's a, a, just a daily part of what I do. 
So we look at what have we learned and then how can we continue to support it. Insights are a dime a dozen. They just are. I hate to say that. But they're a dime a dozen. They come. But us following through on them is when the rubber hits the road. We can understand and realize a whole bunch of shit. But true, you know, it's like, oh, I get it. (laughs) But not until we actually create and start changing our action does it truly mean anything. So for me, that's what, that's how I continue to practice. How I continue to practice my sila is by daily taking the precepts and by really paying attention to how I use and support them. I'm realizing this is not my whole talk and I could make it my whole talk. And I want to hand it over and then talk about the kindness piece maybe if there's time. Looking at the three baskets of ethics, concentration or meditation, and uh, wisdom, I never felt quite smart, but I would say right view, which is part of uh, the wisdom factors, uh, has always gotten, uh, was always the most compelling one for me. Like I always wanted to understand. Growing up in a wild house with uh, a lot of violence and a lot of crime and a lot of um, self-consciousness, you know. I wasn't, uh, it felt very dangerous to not know the angle whatever was happening. So to stay out of harm's way, you'd have to, be aware of yourself. So I got good at right view. How do I understand the dynamics of what is happening right now? And I also came through the door of service. That was also like a big part of my coming into Committing it to value, you know, as a as a human being, because that's not something. It's something I had lost uh, through all my criminal activities and and drug addiction. I remember the first night I ever did any kind of service. It was nineteen eighty seven. And literally, it felt like it was brand new to me that I could be a part of something beautiful, because I had spent my life just uh, in so much self-aversion, so much annihilation, so much destruction, just ripping and running and, and just trying to stay gone. I didn't really like what was going on, so... As Noah said, you know, 
decided to change the way I felt. So that was happening at a very young age. And so the fact that I could uh, be a part of something that was a solution that really turned me on and that could remind me of my own basic goodness. But this right view continued to be uh, very important. Trying to understand. Really high value for me. And because I had done so much, uh, so much of this aversion of self, forgiveness was a huge part of the path. And kindness, right? I had a lot of awareness, but the kindness had left me. I don't even know how old I was. You know, I look at pictures of me in kindergarten, and I'm just like, wow. You were already gone, man. You were already, the armor, that clay was already taking you. You had forgotten who, who I was. Forgotten that basic goodness. So a lot of my path has been about trying to get back in touch with my heart. So that's what I try to share with you is like the fruit of the heart practices because that's what was uh, liberating for me. That's where I've seen the most growth is in my ability to be kind internally and externally. And there was shadow sides to that because I couldn't always be honest with people because I thought I might hurt them. And I surely could, but I would definitely hurt them if I wasn't honest with them, right? So it's like this weird thing that I was trying to find a balance where I would try to take care of people by not telling my whole truth. I didn't want to be too much with my perception and my views, which were so strong, you know, like at least I thought they were. Yeah. And Joanna has helped me a lot. She's been a really great spiritual friend to me, and uh, she's very direct. I can be super direct and still be lying. (laughs) (laughs) You know that? You know that piece? Where she can be uh, kind, but very direct and very honest. And uh, she's been a, a kind of a model for me in that. I know you can feel what's happening here. So I just trust in that. When we talk about spiritual friendships, people that have inspired us and people that have supported us. That's what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. As we were talking about laying this night out, we were talking about doing something that I've never seen done. Because, yeah, my teachers never kind of taught me in this way of like, okay, this was the doorway and this was the stretch, right? 
I hadn't seen that uh, so explicitly. So we thought it might be valuable for us to talk about ours. And as we were going through the three baskets, we're like, okay, we got the wisdom and we got the ethics. And my ethics were such a mess. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking forgiveness practice. And I tell you, I hated the practice. I hated that practice. And, and I should have known that anything I hated that much, that there was a lot there, right? That's the indicator light, you know, come here, right? Yeah. So I was busy trying to clean up those parts of my life that were still causing havoc, you know, in their own ways. Mm. And even though uh, my view um, was where I put a lot of value, meditation didn't come very easily to me because of this lifetime of self-aversion. So I, I put some, some hours on the cushion, some miles, you could say, trying to just settle this particular nervous system down enough to gather some concentration, you know, these kind of stabilizing factors that um, samadhi has. Some people, samadhi comes very naturally to this meditative experience. And we were kind of hoping that one of our friends would join us up here because he has such a story. Anybody heard of Matthew Brensilver? <laughs> he happens to be here tonight. We, Matthew, will you join us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of our favorite human beings. We have an empty chair. Noah quit, so you can take his job. <laughs> This, uh, this is the first uh, Dharma talk I'm ever, ever giving under protest. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to uh, be looking at you. And I did just come to be with the, uh, with the beloved Sangha and hang out with my friends and hear a Dharma talk and have some soup. But uh, they three baskets, I guess. So anyway, mm. so uh, yeah. In a sense, um, the the Dharma, you know, is. Uh, is really is really just a, a philosophy 
until it gets mixed in with the, with the samadhi, with the stability of mind. And it's a good, you know, it's a good philosophy, but it's like the, the radical transformative possibilities of it are not glimpsed until we actually start to settle in to the moment in this deeper way. And um, you know uh, the yeah you, I used to feel like um, you know samadhi said to be kind of like a refuge, you know, and I always had this sense like I'm just I'm just like always supposed to be opening to my pain, the pain of the world, you know, like that was just like practice for me was so closely associated with like digesting the pain of my life, of being human. Uh, But um, it's okay to take refuge in samadhi. Like it's okay to actually step out of, uh, you know, the kind of storm of intensity that we see, right? That that being human is is uh, very intense, you know, right? Like you guys have just been sitting around for a week, <laughs> but uh, intense, no? Yeah. Uh, and so, so some of the function of, of, of stamati, of the stability of the mind, is to actually just, it's, it's like turning, turning the knob down on the kind of, on our nervous system. And there's a sense of refuge in that. But it also um, actually kind of accelerates the process of digesting our life. Like, what does it mean to, to be with our life? And I would say that uh, to really be with our life, the mind has to, to rest with experience. That when we're actually just kind of, um, you know, we don't know how deeply embedded in the story of our life we are until we just like drop layer by layer down into the, uh, just wordlessly into the experience of this moment. And that moment has no bottom. Like we can just keep falling more and more deeply into the present moment. We think of the moment as like this chunk of time, like maybe it's the breath, or maybe it's just an in-breath, or maybe it's the beginning of the in-breath. But as we settle in, it's like we, it starts to feel more and more safe to entrust ourselves to the groundlessness of the moment. 
Like, I think because we feel as human beings under threat in a way, we are like compulsively staying oriented to the past, to the future, to the present, to where we are, to where the world is. And as, as the heart settles in, as it starts to feel more and more safe to be, uh, as our inner life starts to feel more and more safe, the kind of compulsion to stay oriented all the time starts to fade. And so we can just, uh, like the, the sort of wondrous dark of the moment can pull us in more deeply. When I think about the sort of like possibilities of of a human life, um, you know, we we can think about our lives like there's sort of like a spectrum of well-being, right? And on one hand, there's like, you know, really unmitigated misery on one hand, right? And then on the other, there's like really profound flourishing. And a lot of the work we do, you know, a lot of people who come into practice, it's like we want to actually get back to like normal, you know, get back into what like is traditionally in the culture, like a good life, you know. But then... How do we actually, like some of us, you know, we find ourselves there. Maybe we work really hard to like establish some normality and just a sense of like, oh, basic okayness. But then when we get to that point of okayness, it's still actually, that now it actually doesn't feel like enough. There's like some intuition that the heart can be freer. And so this half of the the spectrum of well-being, you know, like everything from like being, quote, normal, well-adjusted, all the way up to like what the Buddha said was possible. Samadhi is uh, maybe one of the most important pieces in that. And so we can actually learn, uh, I think, how good it actually can be to be alive, to be human, through this cultivation of the mind. And as far as, the uh, uh, last thing maybe I'll say is, is, as far as like staying engaged over time, over the years, the months of practice, um, it, it really takes some stability of mind, samadhi, um, to see our 
neurosis more clearly. You know, like my mind, my neurotic patterns are like high functioning. <laughs> like they're like camouflaged kind of, you know? They're like, uh, yeah, it just seems like, oh yeah, that's how things are, you know? And uh, to like really see neurosis in action and to see it on the fly, you know? We have to get quiet. And so uh, for me, a major kind of uh, inspiration to like look, look deeply, look carefully as I want to see my mind and it just, it just can't be seen uh, when there's uh, this absence of stability. So, uh, is that anywhere in the ballpark of what I'm supposed to say? Okay, okay, okay. So you can see the possibility, right? <laughs> and it makes me curious, like, where, where do you see yourself? Meaning, what do you think your entry is? What do you think you're really good at? What's, what feels easy for you? What comes naturally? Right? What comes really naturally is an easy doorway for you. I'm really good at, you know, this idea of being ethical and kind. And, and sometimes that's, that's not really authentic. You know, sometimes we're super kind. I found that a lot of people um, that can be super, super compassionate don't actually take care of themselves. They can show up for other people really well and forget themselves really easily. So we want to we want to do an exercise where you you're going to we're going to break up in dyads this time. Oh no, we're going to go back to the tree. Same Your trio. You the ones you were with. And share what you think you're really good at, what comes easily for you as far as this samadhi, which is the, the meditative, the concentration, the internal, the contemplative, looking at yourself deeply. So this aspect, the ethical practice where um, you kind of know how to show up for others. You, you know, it's like you're better at at relationships and those kind of things. And then the view piece, which is having a deep understanding of the conceptual parts of the Dharma. So you understand cause and effect. You can intellectualize the ideas around karma and the Four Noble Truths um, and those aspects. 
right? So it's a, you've made your practice a mental practice. And then, and, and you're going to share with each other those and then what you think you could work on as you leave here. Because one thing that I know as sort of a person that wants to actively take this off the cushion and not just leave it in this room is that what are, what's my assignment? What can I do when I leave here? There's, there's plenty to do. And our edges are usually the ones we need to work on. So maybe talk about the one that, you know, I'm not so good at that, and maybe I need to try that. Because like I talked about, there's lots of really great meditators that are assholes, and then there's lots of people that, you know, might be amazing activists and kind out in the world and don't know their inner life at all, could not tell you an authentic part of themselves if they had to. So this is what this... Did I, um, this is what this activity is going to be about. Who are you easily? What could you do? What can your assignment be for the next year? Like it doesn't need to be tomorrow. Take it on as a practice for a year. I'm going to really look at this part that I've never looked at before. And I'm going to read about it and I'm going to show up in it and I'm going to practice it. What's that going to be? Does that make sense? And right now it's fantasy, right? Like, we haven't done it yet. But you can make an effortful promise and take an effortful sort of like look, in, look people in the eye and say like, I think I want, I want to value this. I want this to be important. I want to try this. I want to fulfill the full eightfold path and not just like be limping around on one leg, you know? <laughs> So go back to your triad. Let us know if we need somebody. And hopefully everybody showed up for this talk. Let us know if there's anything <laughs> someone ditched out last night. And even, even though you all just met only about two hours ago, I'm noticing the familiarity. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool. It's homecoming, right? So quick that we get attached. So quick. And so enjoying the comfort and ease just from that. Being quiet just for a minute. <laughs> Shut the fuck up while I tell the instructions. <laughs> and this time, whoever's birthday is the closest to January is going to go first. Okay, you got that? All right, we are going to time. We're just going to give y'all like, I mean, we basically know what kind of type we are. Uh, so, so reflect like uh, Joanna is instructing us. But uh, you're just going to have like three minutes each. So I want you to talk about what comes naturally, but more what's your edge and what are you going to work with so that there's more balance. Does that make sense? I'm going to ring the bell. I'll let you know when you got 30 seconds. Just one person talking. Give this person your full attention. 
listen with your ears, your heart, your head. You know, you, you get to pick. <laughs> Didn't we want to add something about that? No, we just wanted to say, you know, now that you know, listening head, heart, ears, 80, 20, 50, you know, what's easiest for you? What comes naturally, right? Where, but, but don't not pay attention to that aspect. That since we've moved on to something else, still holding this as a practice. So first person, take a deep breath. I'll let you know when you got 30 seconds left. Please begin. So first person, you got about 30 seconds left. And please let your words fade. You know what to do, give them a nod. You heard them, you see them, you got them. Cool, cool. First person, how did it feel like to be listened to? 
and picks pick our next participant. Who's going next? Please begin. All right, all right. You got about 30 seconds left, y'all. All right, all right, y'all. Let the words fade. And make sure you look this person in the eye and thank them. Give them that nod. Beautiful. Last person, it's not your turn. What's true for you? Please begin.
About 30 seconds, y'all. About 30 seconds. All right, all right, let those words fade. You know what to do. Let them know you heard them, you see them. And you will keep it between y'all. Cool? And maybe we just sit for a couple minutes. Reflect on what you heard, what you said. Okay, we just do a little reflection. A couple minutes of reflection. Yeah, a couple minutes of reflection. I'll just guide them. You can. Sure. And this is the practice. We keep coming back to us. And, and, and then what happens? And just reflecting on your process. Whatever kind of commitments became uh, known to you that you'd like to make, you know, the, whatever you spoke. <coughs> what would really help us be balanced? Noah talked a little bit about it, just digging in one part of the field, you could say, you know. The practice in a certain way should stretch us. Our teachers should stretch us as much as we can be stretched. Again, we're going to ask you to go back into silence 
as we do this walking period. And if uh, we didn't make it so explicit today, but please leave your devices uh, locked away. We will give them back in the morning. Yeah. And please uh, hold the container. There shouldn't be any uh, talking tonight, really. Give yourself the gift of being here. You're only here for a short time, so uh, finish strong. Finish with the resolve that, you know, you really showed up to the retreat and you really supported the other participants by holding the container. Does this make sense? Mm, thank you. Thank you for your time and your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.